Love bombing. Yep. Manipulation. Check. Gaslighting. Uh-huh. Wow. I guess we really weren't the only ones. You got that right. Welcome to The X-Files, a new spinoff of Ex-Wives Undercover. Now we're sharing your stories of love gone wrong. Sometimes we laugh. Sometimes we cry. But more importantly, we stand together. Please be aware that this podcast is for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back. I'm Amber. And I'm Athena. Previously on The X-Files. In the last episode, Ted broke up with Anna for the second time. And it was then that she found out that Ted was married all along. Then, of course, he pulls the I made a mistake and please forgive me spiel. And then he shows up on her doorstep with divorce papers in hand. But by Christmas, Ted proposes to Anna. But with the store struggling and his rage issues, the prognosis for a happy ending was not looking good. Now, in this episode, we are ending year three and moving into years four and five of Anna's relationship with Ted. All right, girl, you ready to do this? Let's do it. Season five, episode five, Happily Never After. As Anna and Ted were sitting on their front porch drinking a glass of wine one evening, Anna received several alarming phone calls and text messages asking if everything was okay. In the month prior, Ted began the process of closing up the consignment store, and since she was busy with her new job, she pretty much stayed out of everything. Well, she was about to get an earful. In the process of closing up the shop, Ted neglected to return items to those who consigned them. The caveat was that he was legally entitled to keep them because they had signed a contract agreeing that after 90 days, anything unsold had to be picked up or it became the property of the shop. Not surprisingly, many people did not read the contract and this clause was a surprise. So much so that they went to the police and said that Ted stole their property. And of course, the TV stations picked right up on it and blasted the story over the nightly news. What? What did? What happened? I know. I don't watch the news, so I have no idea. My friend text, texted me, and she said, uh, "Ted's on the news," <laughs> and uh, you know they're they're saying there's a, a criminal investigation going on with the store and how it all went down, and that he stole a bunch of stuff. Of course, I told him that, and he was freaking out like crazy because he had just gotten this job with this company. And the guy who owned the company is a small family-owned company. And so he was very particular about who he hired and about negative publicity and things like that. And so he was very concerned that he would see this. And, and he did see it and just basically said, you can't start working here until you get this care of and fixed. Me being the person that I am, I called the news station and was like, you people have this information wrong. You need to take this story off the air. This is not factual. This is not correct. Um, you didn't do enough research into this. This didn't, you know, that's not the way this happened. And I threw a big enough fit that they did take it, that they took it off the website and everything. So, yeah, it was a, 
was a bad day in our house that night. That was a bad night. Um, he wasn't angry or raging. He was just, he was really scared. Like that's, I've, I haven't seen him just like flat scared, but he was scared, really scared. What came of all of this was a couple of things. Number one, Ted almost lost his brand new job he had just been hired for in the oil business. The owner was also a felon and was trying to live very under the radar, and this publicity was definitely not that. And number two, Anna's beautiful engagement ring. You can imagine the shock when she learned that Ted never paid the consigner for her ring. It wasn't hers after all, nor Ted's to give. His plan all along had been to pay the individual for the ring, but he just never did. And so I had to give back my ring since it wasn't actually my ring. Um, He had appropriated it from stock, I guess you could say. So, you know, I had that. That was pretty embarrassing, humiliating, you know, that I had to give up my engagement ring. And that was, that was a hard thing. That was a hard thing to talk about. How did you end up getting your new ring? Let's talk about that. My new ring, which was actually prettier than the old ring. One of the things that we loved to do together and had lots of fun doing together was going to pawn shops. And so I um, went to a pawn shop and I found this gorgeous ring, like beautiful one carat solitaire with like a halo and diamond band. It was be- even prettier than the other ring. So I did get a replacement ring. It took a while to get it, but I did get it. Did he, what was his excuse for not telling you about the first ring and him not paying it or it wasn't actually technically yours to have? Um, it was just one of those deals where, you know, he had every intent to pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. But he just didn't ever get the money. Was it something that he was on parole and if he got in any trouble, he goes back or, you know what I mean? Like, was that why he was so scared? It was like, oh shit, if I get in a trouble again, I might have some consequences or something. Well, I mean, if you've, if you've been convicted of one crime and you get charged with another crime, the chances of you getting convicted of that crime are exponentially higher, obviously. I think he was more worried about like the job that he had just gotten, um, which, you know, in hindsight, I really wish that he had been fired from that job because that job created a massive amount of problems in our marriage and in our life. I mean, like problems that I, I'll talk about them later, but just massive, huge, massive problems. Um, so I think he was just worried about that because it was a good job and it was a job that paid well, which is hard to get when you're a felon. In Anna's own words in her letter to Ex-Wives Undercover, she said, you might think that would stop the wedding, but hell no, I was getting married to him. I lied to everyone and I mean everyone about my ring. The story that Anna began telling everybody in regards to her ring was that she was in the Target parking lot, put lotion on her hands and took the ring off and must have forgotten to put it back on. And when she got out of the car, it dropped onto the pavement. And by the time she realized it was gone, oops, it was gone. It wasn't a moment she was proud of, but she couldn't bear to tell anyone what really happened. On September 6th, 2014, Ted and Anna were married. And here's a fun fact. Their marriage license was signed by three felons, the groom and their two witnesses. 
we actually didn't have like a traditional wedding. We had a Celtic hand fasting ceremony um, because neither one of us are necessarily religious people. So we did the hand fasting, which was really cool. And it was a neat ceremony. And, you know, I had a pretty dress and he had a nice suit. And it was so janky, like the wedding pictures, like our trash cans are in the background and like the window unit air conditioner is in the background. And, you know, I tried really hard to make it as pretty as I could, but we had no money, like we had no money at all. And so it was just, you know, scraping it together. And like the original plan had just been to have like maybe 10 people come and it was just going to be backyard, just quick, have some cake, go home. But then my boss where I was working at that time, um, he decided he wanted to come and he wanted to be comfortable. So he rented us like I literally woke up the, that morning of the wedding and went out in my backyard and they had delivered like this huge white tent and all these chairs and stuff because it had been raining. So, you know, we did have that. Um, and probably about maybe 25 or 30 people came to the wedding. I remember we went to go cut the cake and I forgot to get forks. And so we lived by 7-Eleven and like my boss who was there, he went to the 7-Eleven and he like stole all the forks from 7-Eleven. <laughs> so that's what we had for color. It was like stolen forks. And what was really funny is that our wedding license is all three men that signed that wedding license with the exception of the pastor were felons. It had rained so much that like, People who came to the wedding, they parked like kind of, we had an alley kind of behind our house and they parked back there and their cars got stuck. And so like, the pastor, he had a Jeep. And so like half of the time was him like <laughs> having to pull cars out of the mud. I'm glad oh you can gosh. laugh about this now. <laughs> it was so asinine. Was such like, a shit show. This is so it was a, just a train wreck shit show. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, I, I definitely can laugh about it now. So. I love that. Did you go on a honeymoon or any place fantastic? Did you go back to your beach? <laughs> your weekend? Um, we Like a year later, maybe it was a year, I think it was a year later. Yeah, it was. We went on a cruise. We went to Honduras and Belize and Mexico. And it was really fun. We had a great time. Yeah, it was a good, good honeymoon. Here is Elizabeth, Anna's daughter, with her memory and thoughts about the wedding. I was excited for it. I was excited for my mom. And, you know, they had lived together for two years prior. Ted is the reason that my mom wanted for me to live with whoever I married. And that's why I moved in with my husband and we lived together for five years before we got married. Because mom thought that living with Ted for two years would make sure that she was sure and that she had seen him. Well, that obviously didn't work out for us. So I remember their wedding day and I was helping my mom get ready. Um, I helped her put on her jewelry, uh, helped her put on her shoes, took pictures, all of that. And I actually gave her away. And whenever they exchanged rings, uh, Ted actually had a ring for me and I can't remember what the name of the ring is but it's the one that holds like it's got the hands holding the heart and the heart has a crown on it oh oh, yeah and he had gotten me one of those you know to show and he said that it was his symbol that he wasn't going to hurt me he wasn't going to be detrimental to me so I, I was very involved in the wedding 
Did you know about him being married for quite some time while he was with your mom? Did she watch that? So before she got married to Ted, you didn't know about him being married previously while he was with your mom? No, I, he had obviously told us that they were divorced before he went to prison. And we had no idea that he was still married and she was going like, she wanted to visit him and he would tell her, no, 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 you don't need to come here. I don't want you to see me like this. You know, we had no idea. And he had told us, red flag, he had told us that his ex-wife was crazy and all this other shit. And, you know, we now know, no, she wasn't. You're the psychotic one. And, you know, mom, mom didn't really tell me about most of this stuff because I I was 15 at the time. I had no idea, you know, and she wanted to protect this facade that he had because she also didn't want for me to get hurt. Married life commenced for Anna and Ted. They moved into a larger and nicer home and they were happy for the first year at least. She loved him so deeply. And one of her favorite memories was the incredible conversations they would have talking about anything and everything. For the most part, they were just like any other couple doing the things they enjoyed. From watching ancient aliens to hitting up estate sales on the weekends. On Sundays, they would have lunch at her parents' house and spent time with the kids. The good times were really good. Let's just put it that way. They spent many, many nights together with friends, playing games or drinking wine around the fire pit. What could possibly go wrong? Why do you suppose that everything was so good for a while? Because you had such a rough start with all the flirtations and his temper and rage and the ex-wife and, and you know, all that good stuff. Why, why do you think it was like this smooth ride for a bit? I mean... I have to say that it was smooth compared to what it had been. Um, It wasn't like perfect. He was still very emotionally labile and he would get depressed and he struggled a lot at this new job. And so, you know, I had to be really supportive and understanding of that because it was doing something that he'd never done before. You know, we just kind of were adjusting to to life together and um, figuring stuff out and figuring out how we were going to like cohabitate and join our worlds together. And, you know, he and I had a lot of fun together. And our friends were like the couple of friends that were people that like we had all gone to high school together. So we all had history and long history with all of our friendships. And so, you know, it, it was good for for a while. Um, yeah, until, like you said, until it wasn't. And, and things started to kind of crack and crumble, you know. Did he start having a good relationship with your daughter since she was the only one in the house? Um, I know the boys were older, but. Yeah, she really loved him. And I, he said that he loved her, but, you know, then what, what he did kind of showed that he, um, I think he loved her as much as he could. Kind of like he, he used to tell me, I love you as much as I love anything, which is very telling. Um, because he never said, I love you more than I've ever loved anyone. It's, I love you more than I've ever loved anything. Hmm. So, you know, it was pretty obvious that he saw me as a thing or an object. And I believe that he kind of saw my daughter the same. Like, she was a, a nice prop. But he was good to her. I mean, he really was good to her. He helped her. He, 
helped her get a car and helped her learn to drive and, you know, just, just all that kind of stuff. Um, and he never was cruel to her, not until the end. You know, he became like her, her dad and she she really loved him, like she really loved him. And this, this whole situation, when it all cratered, broke her heart. Anna's friend, Stephanie. The first time that I met Ted was Anna, Ted, and I went to this um, art walk that happens like once a month. And it's like several um, art museums open their doors and um, you just kind of walk in and out of each one and go look at different art. You can purchase art. There's wine, stuff like that. Anna introduced me to him. And then there was like a, I don't know if it was a tarot card reader or like a palm reader or something like nearby. And Anna was like, I'm going to go get more information on that. And so she, and it was just like, you know, not very far, 20 feet away. I don't know. Um, and so Ted and I are still standing there and he's immediately pulling out his phone, trying to take a picture of me. And I was like, this is creepy. Oh, <laughs> and then creepy. I'm like, I'm like saying, no, no, no. And he's like, well, I want to, I want to introduce you to one of my friends. And I'm like, no, this is weird. And so then he's wanting to take a selfie together. And I'm like, this is so strange. <laughs> the night goes on and I felt like the entire night I kept trying to like get myself on the other side of Anna. Like he would put me in the middle. He kept standing beside me. And I'm like, this is the most awkward, strange meeting of a person's husband in the history of ever. Did you think that Anna and Ted were happy in their relationship? When I very first met Anna, yes. As I got to know Anna, no. <laughs> I mean, like the more you get to know somebody, the more they talk about their relationship. And it's not that she was necessarily saying anything bad about him. I do think Anna tried very hard to protect his image, probably because she'd already given up so much to be with him, you know? And so while she did tell me things like about him going to prison, I there was just a lot of things that she didn't really share with me in the beginning. The second year of the marriage for Anna and Ted took a complete nosedive. Anna remembers one particular morning being woken up by Ted screaming at the top of his lungs at her and accusing her of hacking into his phone. This should have been a much larger red flag than it was to her, but it was the first indication that something was definitely not okay. The phone incident was was incredibly shocking to me because it was so like out of the blue and really looking back on it, that's kind of when things started kind of just kind of really not horribly bad, but like it started getting bad. Cause yeah, he woke me up one morning at like three or four o'clock in the morning and he was just screaming at me, um, accusing me of hacking into his phone. Of course I'm waking, I'm just waking up. So I'm completely confused as to what this, why are, what is, what are you, what are you even talking about right now? And I was like, I did not look at your phone. I mean, I don't touch, I didn't touch his phone. I never did. You know, I couldn't hack, I couldn't hack into shit. I don't, I'm not, I don't know how to do any of that stuff. Sounds, I'm not sounds like something someone says when they are guilty. Oh he yeah. getting paranoid, right? Yes. He That's started to get paranoid. Wow. So yeah, of course, of course, then I was curious. I'm like, what the fuck is on your phone that you don't want me to see? I remember that night I sat him down and I was like, what you did was like super not cool. And don't ever do that to me. again. Like never, ever do that to me again. That was not okay. That was absolutely never going to happen again and it never did happen again so I will say that but that kind of started him being meaner to me and saying just little jabby things to me um just 
I feel like looking back now that it was a systematic thing that he was doing to like uh, chip away at me, chip away at my um, security with him, chip away at my feelings toward him, make me question, you know what I mean? I don't know if that makes any sense or not, but that's kind of how I saw it. Like he was trying to get me off kilter because if he got me off kilter, then he could better control what was going on. You know, after that, I did start to see the devaluation was happening more and more. Um, I, I, where I was working, um, I loved my job. Like I loved my job. It, it was, it was not just a job, you know, it was my home. It was my favorite thing that I ever did was that job. And so when it closed, um, I really struggled because it wasn't just, like I said, it wasn't just a job. It was a passion that I had. And, you know, he made fun of me for being sad. He's like, it's just a job. I understand what your problem is with that. You know, just, just pull your head out of your ass. One of the things that he would say to me a lot was that I was a really shitty therapist and that he didn't know how I helped anybody or that I was incompetent. And I would say to him, why are you saying that to me? You, you don't know what I am or who I am. You have no idea. And then that's whenever he would come back with, well, I married you because I thought you were going to fix me and you haven't fixed me. So you've got to be a really crappy therapist. I'm just like, dude. Um, Did you, you know, say, well, you're unfixable? Sorry. Yeah, I wish I would have. <laughs> I don't really know what to tell you, buddy. You sorry ass motherfucker. Yeah. Well, Bye. I'd be like, I'm your wife. I'm not your therapist. Yeah. If you therapist I can get you a referral to a great therapist I'm sure you probably try to fuck her but I mean yeah. I can do a referral man you know um because as I found out he did have a therapist that he did try to fuck so oh, God. <laughs> I know. Oh, I'm God. Not shocked <laughs> I know it's like what manipulating who knew um so that is when it kind of really started like he was starting to tell me that his friends were saying that I was a bitch and that you know, um, just a lot, a lot of negativity started to happen. I know it can be, it can, this can go two different ways, but he's almost like self-destructing and pushing you away by sabotaging. And I just wonder if that's actually true because if he's capable of even, I don't know, the emotions that come along with that. I mean, do you think that's what he was doing? Or do you think it was just a, a plan because he'd already moved on and wanted someone else? And so it wasn't self-destruction. It was him sabotaging for his own gain. And he did know what was happening because he wanted to start banging someone else. Well, as I found out later, at that time, he was banging others, uh, waitresses, sex workers. Um, you know, that was... Uh, part of why that job he had was so damaging and so bad is because like the person that he was working with and working for did all those kinds of things and so he would become whoever he was around. By this point Ted had been working at his new job for about a year and a half. The company was a family-owned business and at one point there were about 40 people employed. But anyone in Oklahoma knows well that the oil business is feast and famine and you can quickly go to both extremes. Ted became close to one of the boss's sons. His name was Dale. And oftentimes, they'd get drinks after work, they'd go to NBA games together, and were pretty much constantly on the phone texting or talking. Anna understood that Ted had to do these things, though, to build rapport and to stay in the good graces of the company should a famine strike. 
in the oil and gas industry, especially here in our state and like Texas, this area, um, you know, when it's going great, it's great. You're making money hand over fist. I mean, it is a party, party, party. But that fast, it can get the, the plug pulled. And that's a cycle that's happened here repeatedly over and over and over again, that, that bust and boom, bust and boom. And whenever he started this job, it was a boom at that point in time. And they were pulling down, I mean, like so much money. You know, there's really no rhyme or reason to why it does what it does. Um, I'm sure that there is. I just don't, that's just not my industry. So I don't understand it. But then, you know, like literally one week in, you know, one week it just all blows up. And so the company's laying off everybody. So he, he was, he tried to get himself ingratiated and inserted into the upper people so that, and I think that it was so that he had something on this guy and like he could say to this guy, if you fire me, I'm going to tell your wife everything. Oh, playing dirty. Um, yeah, I mean, that's what he said. He was just using it as ammunition. It was a mess. Like the whole thing was just a, a really bad mess from the get go. Anna remembers a time when Dale offered Ted $1,000 to let him have sex with her. This was so out of line, but what was most concerning is that Ted seemed to be completely unbothered by any of it. In fact, numerous instances happened with Dale disrespecting Anna, and Ted's response was, he didn't think he could say much because he was just trying to keep his job. The truth was, he liked having something that Dale wanted, which was Anna. He had some issues, Dale did. Like, <laughs> that is like the understatement of the year, by the way. I mean, this, this guy was fucked up um, for a lot of different reasons. Um, but anyway, he had a um, strange um, focus on me. And um, like when we would be around him, he would kiss, try to kiss me. He would grab my butt he would grope me and he would do this right in front of Ted like just blatantly in front of him but then he came home one night from a game that he had gone to with Dale and told me that Dale had offered him a thousand dollars if I would sleep with him and um, of course I'm just like that is so gross there's no 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 and he was kind of like well you know a thousand bucks is a thousand bucks <laughs> pimping you out what the yeah hell? did dale like grab your butt slap your ass rope you in front of his wife as well or was it just no. in front of your husband no no okay. just just there was multiple times that we had gone and done stuff with him and like games and that kind of thing different events and he would always manage to get me in a corner or something and grab at me and then you know i was in a position that was just really gross and creepy because i felt like i couldn't really say anything because he needed this job, like, really bad. Like, we needed him to have this job. Did you ever ask Ted why it didn't upset him? Or did you ever share with Ted that that made you feel uncomfortable? Yeah, did you ever bring it up? Like, Ted, you don't care that your friend is fondling your wife? And what was that response? What was that conversation? He said, well, I mean, I've got a hot wife. So, of course, that's going to happen. Like, it was yeah. almost like an ego boost for him. It was. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was a situation where, like, he's like, well, I have something that he wants. And it's an ego boost. Did you have any concern? I mean, obviously, Ted would probably come home and tell you all the sleazy shit that Dale does. 
Did you have any concern that Ted was going to follow suit and be just as sleazy on, on his level behind your back when you weren't around? So I didn't really know a lot about what was actually happening with him. Um, you know, not the way until it was later. Like, no, I didn't know until okay. later what was really happening. Um, not till like the very end, actually, did I find out everything that was going on. I saw some behavior changes with him that were concerning. I just like, I don't know, just his attitude changed and his um, demeanor would change when he was around them. And he just was shady. So during this time, this time frame that we've kind of been talking about and moving forward, do you feel like Teddy Boy was still super flirty and being inappropriate with other women? Or did that die down? Were people still reaching out saying, you know, they'd witnessed him doing things like that, hitting on your friends, that type of deal? No, not so much with... um my friends because by that point in time he had managed to like insert himself and separate me from people who might come and say things like that to me but like I remember on my birthday we went he he threw this huge it was my 50th and like he threw this huge party for me at this karaoke bar that I like to go to and I walked up to him and this girl was standing there next to him and was like you know touching him and stuff like on his arm and I'm like um honey this is my husband and she looked at me and she said, well, he sure doesn't act like it. And walked on. Oh, oh. Yeah. Damn, she told you, girl. I'm just kidding. Did you tell her back? <laughs> You're like, no. no. What do you, you say to that? I know. Off. I mean, what do you say to that? I mean, it's like, oh, well, yeah. yeah. We're not going to start brawling as adults in the middle of a facility or I mean, whatever. Maybe. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'd be like, you dumb bitch. Come back here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, I was just Depends like, on my I mean, mood that day. <laughs> She wasn't wrong, you know. It was it was them to to be oh. like I'm a mar- I'm married, you know. I'm here for my wife's birthday, you know. Uh, you appreciate it, but no, thank you. But yeah, he did. Yeah. So so listen up, X fans. If that was to happen, and even if that was the truth, if you were witnessing a man who you thought was acting like a single person, the appropriate thing really would have been to say, "Oh my God, I am so sorry. The way he was acting, I really thought he was single." I apologize. That's what she should have done. But she just kind of blatantly laid it out in a bitchy way. But again, that is Ted's fault. So Ted, maybe she thought that she was being scolded by the wife, like, you know, and then she immediately kind of got on the defense, like, like, yeah, whatever. You know what I mean? Is this, did you say this isn't a bar or like a, yeah, it's like a karaoke bar thing. Okay. Alcohol was probably involved. Yeah. Yeah. I was, you know, we were having fun and I just, you know, that was one of those things I didn't really think that much about it in the moment. But, you know, looking back, it's like, oh, well, okay. Yeah, he probably was. Like after everything was over and done, of course, people come out and tell you all kinds of stuff. And his friends were telling me about how, you know, he got phone numbers from waitresses. He hit on girls at the mall or what, you know what I mean? He was just like, he was a dog the whole entire time we were together, but nobody told me this, you know, they weren't telling me. And I guess they weren't telling me because... I probably would not have been receptive to it, and they knew it. One particular incident was when Anna's daughter's friend Rachel came to visit from out of town. You see, Rachel had been in their lives way long before Ted ever came around. She had gone on family vacations with them and even lived with Anna for a period of time when her home was destroyed by a tornado. She was like a daughter to Anna. Ted, however did not like Rachel's mom. She had moved in, in the interim of all of this to Texas and she'd come back to surprise my daughter. And so she came to our house 
and she was just waiting on my daughter to come home and he was watching a football game in the living room and we lived in like a condo at that point in time and it's like kind of small you know like kind of on top of each other so there wasn't really anywhere to go to get away to talk and so Rachel and I we were just talking and he just um, about after five minutes got up turned off the TV walked into the bedroom shut the door and turned the TV on in there I mean no big deal right well, after Rachel left um, and my daughter left with her, he came out of that bedroom and he ripped me up in a way that was, this still shocks me to this day. I mean, he told me that, that she couldn't come back in our house and that, you know, he was disrespected by me in his own home. And, you know, I forced him to leave the living room and go into the other room and that I was not being respectful of him it and it was bad like it went on for a solid two hours of him just screaming at me and berating me and like it was horrible and you know I still remember how I felt when he started doing that I was so confused because this was he hadn't really done anything like this yet um, so it was the first time he had really just been completely denigrating me and just ripping me up and telling me what a piece of shit I was that I, you know, just, just all this stuff, just because this girl had been in our house and he didn't like her mom. Um, and he like, he got me so upset and just crying. And it was, it was really bad. Like it was crazy. Bad. It was crazy. It was weird. It was bad. Yeah. I mean, so at a left field, he's so controlling and he's so selfish and he acted like a really big baby, throwing a huge scary tantrum times 20. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if it was a control thing. It was almost like a control thing. Yeah, I think it was a control thing. You know, like I said before, they like to see how far they can push you. And they like to see how far they can get you to go. Like with the phone thing, I never wanted that to happen again. So of course I just never touched his phone again because I thought, well, maybe he's got some sort of bizarre thing on his phone where he can see if I've touched his phone. So I just never did it. And then after that, like I never had her back in our house um, with him around. It, it took a while that she did. And he did come around with her. He spent some time with her. He, he likes her. Um, and so he kind of backed off on that, but it took there just had to have been a story with the mom more than, like, don't you feel like there has to like be something more to this? I feel I like she, she saw through. I mm-hmm. think she saw through him. You know, she kind of reminds me of that's a straight shooter like D in our story. So mm-hmm. Burnett, hot mm-hmm. Burnett with the tattoos. She has this like Italian or Sicilian personality where it's like, you're a straight shooter. I see you through your bullshit. I'm going to call you out. And if it doesn't add up, they're probably like, ha, you're right. You're so, you're so full of shit. That never happened. Like, yeah. and they mean it, but that's just like their personality. And those people like Ted and Ben, they do not like that. Yeah. They it's like, it doesn't like warrant that much hate. It's and just like, like really for her child who had nothing yes. to do with it. <laughs> She's like exactly. an 18 year old girl. She didn't have anything to do She's with like any an innocent bystander. What a dick. Here is Elizabeth, Anna's daughter. Okay, so to be fair, my friend's mom is a lot. <laughs> I'm dying to know why she didn't like him, like what he did to make her not like him. So pretty much what happened, it was when he owned the consignment store and she had come in to consign a couple things and there was just a lot of drama there. He doesn't want my friend in the house 
like because apparently she's too much like her mother and all of that shit which mind you mind you he would always tell me that that friend was his favorite and like he would always be so friendly with her and like when we were in college he would give us both like money for food and gas and things like that and he put on this whole facade i had no idea that that happened oh my gosh None. no idea and she probably had no idea either Oh yeah, no, she has no, no idea that that happened. That sucks. That, I mean, it's gonna poor thing. Now she's gonna be like, "What did I do?" <laughs> I have no, idea. Uh, no, she she like won't. Her mom. She knows the She knows the crazy that is Ted. So she'll be like, "Yeah, that tracks." What Ted was doing with Anna was actually testing her to see how far he could go before she reacted, and what she taught him was that in these two incidents was that she would take a lot from him because she was way too afraid of losing him to say anything. We now have heard so many times where Ted's been verbally abusive to you. Was there ever any physical abuse at this point? Not at this point. Mm-mm. Okay. No, that, that did come, but it came later. You know, major red flags... Things seem to be getting worse, but you're still afraid of losing Ted. And then after being married twice already, was divorce not an option to you? Is that why you were like holding steadfast? You just wanted to keep making this work? I mean, I know you loved him very, very much. It was very much a deep love connection that you had for him. But at this point now, things are getting so bad. Were you were you ever contemplating this or were you still fearful of losing him? All of the above. I mean, I was very fearful of losing him. I was, you know, um, when you've been a loser already in marriage a few times and, and you get married and and you do so kind of against the wishes of your friends and family and people are telling you this is a huge mistake and you do it anyway, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm going to dig my heels in and I made my bed. I'm going to lie in it. I did not want to get a divorce from him. Um, I, I just, and yeah, I loved him. I loved him so much. Because, you know, there's like that 80-20 rule. At that point in time, 80% of the time, it was it was pretty decent with him. And 20% of the time, it was bad. You know, I was committed. I meant what I said when I said I wanted to be married to him forever. I meant it. You know, Amber and I obviously did the same thing. So many of our other listeners have done that exact same thing where people are warning you, don't do it, don't do it. Yet it does the opposite. It drives a person to follow through with, and go the wrong direction. Can you explain the psychology behind that to our listeners? I really think that it's all part of the abuse cycle and the cycle with MPD. It's part of the that particular disorder. That's the way it shows itself in relationships. That's the way um, it is. Um, you know, we talked about that intermittent reward cycle where, you know, it's almost like an addiction and I just couldn't see my life without him. He was like, my heir, he was everything to me. And I had given, I'm like I said, I'm not, I can't speak to everybody, but just my own experiences. Like I had given everything to him. I had given up everything for him. I was not gonna look like a fool in front of my friends. All these people that were saying he was never gonna marry me. Well, look, ah, I got the ring. Um, yeah. Y'all were wrong, I was right. And I did have a little bit of a hey, hey, kind of an attitude about it. Like, you know, you thought it was not gonna happen. Look, it happened. You didn't think it was going to last. Well, by God, it's going to last. Because you see it with children where we say, 
we don't want you playing with that friend. They're a bad influence. Or I don't really like your boyfriend. And they're just like, whatever. And instead, you know, like I said, they go to the opposite. Do you, is that just a really natural human thing that people do? Yeah, I think so. I really do. I know for me, it was like the more negative I heard about him, the more defensive I became of him because he's a guy that, you know, everybody's against him and blah, blah, blah. And he's been the victim. So I'm just going to protect him. Yeah, you're right. I think you're, you you hit that one. You want to defend him and then protect and then Amber, you, I I was all the way about that. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like he was he laid such a good groundwork of him being bullied and I felt so bad for him. And then he just, he never stood up for himself. Even when we were arguing, like he, he just still, like, I wanted him to maybe call me a bitch or something. Yeah. Like it's like, he never stood up for himself. And I could tell even in our interpersonal relationship, I was like, God fucking grow a pair, grow a fucking pair. And so the more I would see things, whether they were manipulated and not as they truly were in my eyes at that time, I thought he was being bullied or he was the underdog. And by God, I, if you're not going to stand up for yourself, then I will, you know, and I was like balls to the wall. Like mm-hmm. I'm not okay with this or whatever. Because but, we're all empaths and two yeah. and defensive. We protect our loved ones and that kicks in and it gets a little fuzzy and you kind of don't see the truth. Yeah. Well, I think that you, that you can't let yourself see the truth a lot of the time. Yeah. And I also, yeah. Like, and just like with you, like I knew, well, Athena knew this too. Like his, I knew he, he was low self-esteem. I knew he was bullied as a child. I knew he had issues with his, his self and not feeling so great about himself. So I always felt really you make Sad excuses. For him. Yeah. yeah. You make excuses for him for the behavior. Yeah. This happened to him. Yeah. Um, like, and I, I would tell him all the time, like, I wish that you could love yourself and not need steroids. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and like not feel like you have to show off or mm-hmm. puff up and yeah. just be yourself. Cause when you're yeah. yourself with me, you're so fun. You're great. Yeah. Like when we're playing our 80s music and we're playing Uno with Sydney and you're dorking out and that's you and that's cool. And I like that person. You don't need to be this stupid gym rat guy or whatever. So I don't know. It is a psychological thing for sure. When Ted discovered Anna was simply his wife and couldn't fix him, the way he looked at her totally changed. This was the start of the devaluation portion of the relationship. With true NPD, narcissistic personality disorder, this is the pattern. They are always looking for the next supply, the next source of attention and excitement. And once the current supply starts to show cracks or makes demands or no longer tolerates the poor behavior of the abuser, they start looking around. When they find the next victim, they begin devaluing their current partner and starts working towards the discard phase. And when discard happens, it is so painful and oftentimes incredibly confusing. I keep seeing lots of people posting and actually I've seen some posts in various groups about I'm a therapist, I'm a psychologist, and it just irks me that all these women who go on these t- these podcasts like throw around he's a narcissist and he's psycho and he's a sociopath and they're armchair diagnosing and they get so annoyed <laughs> by people using those terminologies why why like who cares if they're not technically diagnosed they, they certainly are portraying these traits 
You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand why it's like such a big deal as we're breaking down, like the love bombing, the devaluation, the discard, all that stuff. Like, why is it a big deal? Isn't it hard to get diagnosed as an adult with a cluster B personality disorder? If it was their free will to go, it probably wouldn't happen unless it was a situation like with Ben and trying to save his marriage and save face or with Ted and the jail stuff, maybe getting an easier sentence or I'm I'm really curious to hear what you have to say. So I've noticed that too, that therapists are just like, you know, you're throwing this word around, you know, it's like that saying, you know, you use this word. I don't think you know what it means. But, and, and it's not necessarily that people are saying that they're diagnosing this person with MPD or cluster B personality disorder. It's more like these are the traits that they're showing, but some of those traits are just like on a spectrum or on a uh, continuum of behaviors. And some people are just dicks and some people are just assholes and pieces of shit. And they don't have a diagnosis. They just are trash. And they they abuse people. They treat people like they're shit. And that's what they do. So, and and that is in its own little bubble. But when you get somebody who's a true narcissistic personality disordered individual, it is a whole different ballgame. That's why I keep trying to tell people. It's like, when you come across one of these motherfuckers in real life and you interact with them, you know you are interacting with somebody who is not right. They're not just dicks and they're not just, you know, mean, abusive assholes. These people are pathological. They're calculated. They know what they're doing and they know how to do it. And they don't care about the pain that they cause because all they care about is themselves. And the ironic part is, is they don't care about themselves. They hate themselves. They detest who they are. And that's why, you know, they take so much care and time and consideration in destroying the people that they're with because they feel like they themselves are worthless pieces of trash individuals. A a true narcissist is is an egomaniac with low self-esteem. I know with Ted, like he, he knew, like he had been diagnosed, he'd been formally diagnosed and he knew that. And he knew what MPD was and he knew the symptoms and he knew that he was doing these things. You know, he knew that that diagnosis was accurate. Yeah, but he just, they can't, it's like, like I t- said that analogy, you know, my eyes are green. If I want them to be brown, I could wish them to be brown all day long. They're not going to change. He, they can't change. Somebody who's like a dick or an asshole or just a jerk, they could change if they wanted to. You know, they could go to therapy. They could work through their shit. They could change. But someone with MPD, they, they cannot change. Um, I say that they could change, I suppose, if they wanted to. But most people with that particular disorder don't want to. They don't. I mean, can anyone change their personality? No, I can't help that I'm OCD a little bit, and it drives, it causes me anxiety if I don't have organization. (laughs) And Athena, I'm sure you have something, and everyone has something. Like you can't just like wish that away overnight, and and be like, I don't like that part of my personality. I'm just going to get rid of it. No, it doesn't work that way. But what does work is like you can, like, for instance, with your intrusive thoughts and stuff like that, you know, you can go to a therapist and you can work with a therapist about dealing with those intrusive thoughts that interrupt your day and interrupt your life. And you can learn coping skills to work around that so you can have a functional existence. Yeah. Learned learned behavior. Learned. You have to. Yeah. Plus for me, they can't. So let's go back to devaluation because that's kind of the second step so there's the idealization which is the love bombing which we kind of talked about in different episodes so now we have the devaluation and that's when the name calling it was it was rough i mean like it it was so confusing to me 
as well because the things that he was saying about me and saying to me were just so left field crazy pants stuff but what what this what the whole cycle is about is like they meet you you're their new supply and they make a story up in their mind about you it you're not aware of the story whatsoever that they've made up about you um they don't tell you what the story is but when you don't meet that story uh you don't follow the storyline because you're just a person and like i said they haven't they haven't clued you in um, then they start to chip away at that pedestal and, and they devalue you. So it was things like that, like telling me that I, I just didn't love him enough. I didn't take good, enough care of him. Um, just, I wasn't a good therapist. I wasn't a good housekeeper. I wasn't a good mother. I wasn't, um, you know, just all the multiple ways that I had disappointed him. And how painful is that to be on the receiving end when you were so glorified for so long and then all of a sudden you're at the bottom of the barrel in their eyes. That's awful. It was very painful and it was very confusing. In my mind, you know, we fought so hard to be together and we had, you know, gone through so many things that were like designed to break us up and designed to end our relationship. But, you know, we had made it and we were married and we were doing the deal. And then just like out of nowhere starts this chipping away at me and, you know, saying stuff about my physical appearance that I gained weight or, you know, that he didn't like my teeth were crooked. You know, first thing I did after we got divorced was got braces. Oh, now I have pretty straight teeth. So F you. But, you know, he just made just all those just little jabs and things like that. That just some of them, too, where he, he would say things to me and I would be like, did he did he did he just call me fat? You know what I mean? Like, question. Yeah, question for you. Is the devaluation stage always noticeable? Because this one always trips me up because clearly I was devalued and Athena was, but he never said it to our faces. Like, if I'm correct, he never belittled you, right, Athena? Like, he never called me names. He never called me or just said, you know, I. I don't like this about you. I don't, he never ever was like that, but he clearly was devaluing me to Athena, for instance, or other people. He was saying how awful I was. And I think in a darkness within part two, he was telling his friends how he wanted to kill himself because of Athena and she was so awful, but she didn't know that like until she found that, you know what I mean? Like he never did it to our faces. So how is it like a covert devaluation stage? I guess there are, there's different types of narcissism. Mm. There's covert, there's overt, there's, you know, um, subversive narcissism. There's all different ways that these guys do their thing and they just kind of learn how to do it. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know. I didn't know. Like I thought our household was ducky (laughs) and everything was great. And we had Sydney and, but I didn't know he was telling everyone else how evil I was, you know, and I don't get it. But like with, I think Deanna's the only one that I remember saying he he was mean to her like he said mean things like you can never no one's ever gonna love you like like I do or whatever like that was the more like what you're talking about like what you experienced but I think she's the only one of the ones that we know of right unless I'm well I think we have to remember too I can't remember the things he did by saying all those horrible things about us on our backs because that was part of his plan so that he was getting something out of that like me not reaching out to you or so that he get away with his cheating you know what i mean like yeah he created that image to benefit himself and so him saying it to our faces wouldn't have benefited him whatsoever you know true 
You know, I mean, from what I've seen, they follow kind of the same pattern, you know, they do. Like, it's just this, it's just what they do, you know, and I'm sure like whenever he sent you the letter and whatever and discarded you, the discards are never permanent. They're never final, ever. Yeah, you're right. Discard during the pregnancy too. It's never permanent. It's just however it benefits them in the moment so that you're off their back, go away. I'm busy and occupied with this new person and I'm going to make up the story and blame you. You're a horrible person and needy or whatever, insecure. And so I could go have fun and blame you for everything. (laughs) Right. During the devaluation stage, is this when they start giving you the intermittent love bombing to, to make you feel like, I don't necessarily want to pull the plug because he's so sweet now. He's back. He's back to normal Ted or whatever. Is that what starts happening before they discard you? It does. Like they're, you know, it's just like, like I was talking about the abuse cycle before. It's very similar to the abuse cycle. You know, they do the mean shit and then maybe they realize, oh, wait, this, you know, she's, she's really pissed. Like she's, she's talking about leaving me. Uh, I'm not ready for that. I don't have her replacement in place or this replacement that I've got in my sights. I don't have her nailed down yet. So I better, you know, go back and be nice and bring her flowers or cook her dinner or whatever the fuck, you know what I mean? Um, so they'll do that, but it's all just self-protection and about, um, you know, what they're trying to get from you and get from the situation. And most of the time you don't even know you're in that cycle when it's happening. No, no idea whatsoever. Later on, I did become aware of the cycle. Um, and I, I, I was in it, you know, I knew it, I saw it, I did it. I was right in the middle of it. Um, and you know, I, I'll talk about that when we get there, but, um, yeah, I knew what was going on and I still participated in it. Next week on the X-Files. It was 2018 is when everything cratered in our marriage. I was traveling and got a call from him where he said, hey, uh, surprise, when you get back, we're moving. And I'm like, we're what? I don't think I realized that he was spinning out internally to the level that he was. The summer that we were in that house is when things started to get a little weird. He had told me that like one of his co-workers had found out that his wife was on a dating site. And so it was odd that like two weeks later, he's accusing me of doing that. When I say I love this man, I can't express how much I loved this man. I had no desire to be with anyone else, to talk to anybody else, nothing. Because I loved him. Like loved him. He was my world. I mean, like he was everything to me. When you try to defend yourself, then it sounds like you're being defensive. And guilty, I know, right? Yeah, like you're guilty and like you've done something. And the more you try to defend yourself, the more guilty you look, you know? Hey, X-Fans, if you haven't quite got your full fix of X-Wives Thundercover or the X-Files, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and join our Facebook group. Make sure to also follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave us a five-star review.